It's your host, Aaron Roverman, and in the house today, we have Andrew Stevenson. Yes. And Nelson DeRocha. Hello. Two of the guys behind the Toronto Comics Anthology, Volume 2, which is basically a collection of writers and artists who do comics that are stories that are centered in Toronto. Right, guys? Yeah. yeah. It's all stories inspired by our time here in Toronto. Uh, we've got a wide variety of genres, but it's primarily about new writers, new artists from the local area making their mark in comics. Uh, yeah, I know some of the writers. Uh, Aaron Feldman is a friend of mine. He He's sort of a dude who's always showing up for the 24-hour comic days. <laughs> oh, I've seen... Mm, yeah. I think I know the one you're talking about in particular. Particular. Yeah. Are we allowed to even name that on air? I don't know. It involves uh, Shrek and pornography. Let's just say yeah. that. <laughs> For sure. And then uh, Christopher Yao, I'm actually working with. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. uh, for a, I guess, a corporate comic for Toronto BJJ, which is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym that oh, I train cool. at. Really? Um, nice. On uh, Bloor and Christie, we do a little comic for the kids program called Submission Samurai. I write it, and he uh, he draws You're it. You're a guy. I think I think he mentioned this actually. Yeah. He, he's yeah. busy. He's always doing something. Yeah, and uh, Sam Noir too. He's uh, the person that writes uh, Christopher's story in the in the book. Yeah, he wrote right? Major North. Mm-hmm. I know him as well. We've we've worked together. We know each other from the community, and that's well. That's one of the things I really like about the Toronto comics community. Like, it's really tight knit. Like, you can't throw a stone without like ricocheting off three different writers and artists from the Toronto industry. Yeah, everybody knows somebody. Yeah, yeah for sure. And everyone's friendly. Yeah. So before we get really into the Toronto Comics Anthology Volume Two and its sort of genesis, I want to get a little bit of background on you guys in terms of where you grew up and how you got into comics and became comic fans. I'll let Nelson feel that one. Oh, okay. Uh, no, I, w- I was born and raised in Toronto. I grew up in the East End at Gerard and Woodbine, uh, Upper Beaches. I've been a comic book fan my entire life. I c- collected Spider-Man and uh, my best friend, Phil, uh, he grew up uh, right around the corner from me and he always collected Superman. So I was always the Marvel guy and he was the DC guy and he took me to my first comic book store, which was uh, Greenwood and Danforth. It was Legends and eventually became uh, Comics and More. It was, you know, he, that was my entire life was just with him with comics and we would always get into arguments and everything about who was better and the answer was always Spider-Man. But uh, yeah, he, but he always, I only collected Spider-Man. That was the thing. Even though he collected Superman, he would always collect X-Men and he would collect uh, a whole bunch of other characters and he was the one who always introduced me. He, he told me about all these, like I never knew who the X-Men were, you know, so he would always tell me about all these cool characters and uh yeah, we just we would I would collect one, he would collect the other, and we would share comics back and forth. Wow, that's awesome! So, is that shop still around? Comics some more? Uh, sadly, no. Uh, the owner Rob passed away recently. Um, I think it was his store. I think it was called Comics and More, but he was a staple in the East End. Uh, he'd always been at uh, Greenwood and Danforth for over twenty five, maybe thirty years. Yeah, and uh, he passed away sadly from a brain tumor. Oh, that's too bad. Myself, I'm from a, I'm. 
from South Africa. I'm quite distant from here. I've only lived in Toronto for two years now. Okay. Um, and I didn't actually, I grew up without comics because South Africa doesn't really have much of a comic scene. So it was only when I got into college uh, at Sheridan for illustration um, that I actually discovered comics for the first time. And until then, I'd always assumed they were just like, you know, they were like children's stories. They weren't real literature. They weren't things that you could actually move you. Um, but then I got, like, I started reading uh, Daredevil, the, the old classics, and it really kind of inspired me to get involved. And since I moved to Toronto um, just two years ago for my job, um, these past two years have been like the legitimately the happiest in my life. And I think the city has something to do with that. The creative energy, uh, the people, it's been really good to me and I want to do something with that. You should, one of our past guests uh, for our second episode was uh, Marco Rudy and uh, he grew up in Mozambique. So oh, he had an experience of having to sort of hide the comics that he could get from his parents because his parents thought they weren't real literature and they thought that he should be spending money on books and stuff like that. And they, My yeah. parents were upset at comic books as well, too. But yeah. I mean, they, they were a little bit more forgiving, but they still turned their nose up. They actually, he had, I think, like a lot of like Frank Miller stuff, and, oh, and like yeah. the early, like the Dark Knight, mm-hmm. and uh, and his parents found his comic collection and and destroyed a lot, <laughs> oh, a lot of that stuff. That's a tragedy right there. Yeah, yeah. For Sadly, sure. it's a common story though. I mean, a lot of yeah. So Andrew, like growing up and getting late into comics, like what drew you? To, what drew you to them? Because I'm sure it wasn't like the typical the typical thing. Um, honestly, somebody pushed like the Bendis and Malieve Daredevil into my hands, um, and the unusual like i always assumed superheroes were just superman that that was all there was to the genre it was just like a big dude punching other aliens uh and all of a sudden i was exposed to the fact there was other like self-contained stories so my interest is primarily in like short contained stuff as opposed to ongoing series and once i found some comics that really kind of catered to that um i also like web comics i started to find web comics and initially i kind of didn't regard them as anything more than like a mild like entertainment uh but then i started reading um faith aaron hicks demonology 101 uh and again like even though it's in one of her early efforts like it it hit me in a way that i didn't expect comics to be able to do that like emotionally yeah and like i was drawn into the stories and even though it is a a silly buffy style story about uh coming of age with demons and so forth like the whole the metaphor of it really worked. It really, like, where I hadn't really watched Buffy, I haven't really connected to those other pieces of media, uh, this, like, short visual narrative just grabbed me. Wow, we should thank that guy that pushed uh, the Bendis and Believe <laughs> Daredevil into your hands, for sure. That's awesome. That was a fantastic series, actually. I, mean, I remember that. That was kind of in a, a period where, like, throughout my collecting, I'd stopped and I'd start and I'd stop and start. But one of the times when I started, that was actually one of the ones that I picked up, and it's like, mm. this is fantastic. Like, that, yeah. that one really got me back into comics again. And I love what they're doing with the TV series right now. I think it's probably the best thing that Marvel has ever done. Uh, in terms of like revolutionizing, it has uh, absolutely taken it to another level, like than they did before. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I was really impressed with it as well. Yeah, so like because that was one of my first like loves of comics to see that translated onto the screen in a way that's both faithful and new is phenomenal. And like it, it's like it's like a crime drama. But they just happen to be wearing costumes. So, like, if you're not even into comics, you'll like Netflix's Daredevil just because it's essentially like a police crime drama. And they just are like the superhero part of it is sort of a little bit in the background. 
Oh, it works as, like, I loved how carefully they included a lot of the mythology without ever making it in your face and necessary to understand it. Uh, a complete newcomer can still come to that show and enjoy it every bit as much as a comics lifetime fan. So you guys do like it. Because what's funny is that I've been scouring the net and I kind of noticed that there isn't much talk about it. Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, at least the websites, I go to a lot of gaming and uh, oh, yeah. comic sites. And usually, you know, whenever there's a like Guardians of the Galaxy or mm-hmm. Avengers, I mean, it's nonstop talk. But I kind of noticed that there isn't much talk about a, about Daredevil. And it's like, is that a good thing? I noticed it? that the talk happened when it first was released in the at the beginning of April 2015. Mm-hmm. And then it's... Everybody sort of binge watched it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They talked about it for it's like a week, yeah. and then and then it was like gone after uh, everybody had already seen it, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we'll see. It might it might come back as like one of those things you got to check out like down the road, mm-hmm. and you know, one of the all time great shows and that sort of thing. Yeah. So what are they doing next? Or is the next one that? Um, I think it's it? Alias. Yeah, Alias. they're yeah. doing that. Uh, Jessica Drew? Yeah, it's called AKA Jessica Jones. Jessica but Jones, it's, yeah. But it's based on the Alias mm. uh, comic book by uh, by Brian. McCormick. Yeah, there's a lot of sensitive stuff in there, so I hope they take care of it in like a respectful way. But certainly, seeing what they did with the fir- with the Daredevil first series, like mm-hmm. I've got, they've got, they bought themselves some credit. So, with your guys' interesting comics, like sort of already established, what made you decide to start the Toronto Comics Anthology? Like, how did that idea begin? Well, the core of it was Nelson's idea. Uh, we were both taking Ty Templeton's writing class. Um, and if you're in Toronto and you want to get into comics, definitely take Ty Templeton's writing or drawing right. course. Yeah, this is... Yes. Ty Templeton is a legendary comics creator, uh, writer, artist, and he runs a boot camp. Yeah, he's an even better instructor. So uh, a lot of people in the Toronto com- community has have taken both his art program and his writing program. So that's mm. that's what we're referring to. People have taken it multiple times too, and yeah, I, I would take it. Yeah, I would take it again if yeah. I could. Nice. So you guys were both in there. What yeah. made you decide to uh, take the class? Um, I wanted to learn how to write. I, I work in social gaming, so I make Facebook games and Facebook apps and so on. I love narrative, and I wanted to get more narrative in there. I was frustrated that my day job didn't really allow it. Uh, so I was trying to find a way that I could bring some more storytelling uh, into the stuff that I do for a living. And unfortunately, that hasn't worked out because Facebook, uh, the casual users don't necessarily have interest in storytelling. Um, when you play Candy Crush, you really don't care about the deep motivations of the purple piece. No. Uh, and it's just a distraction. Um, but once I got into that, once he kind of laid out the, the principles for storytelling um, and the structure of it, because I'm a programmer, it really connected with me. And so I was like, oh, hey, Here's the format. I can play around with this, and at least I have a structure now to work from. And it all kind of fell into place from there. Uh, Nelson? Um, wow. You know, it's funny that you're, this was only like two years ago. This was 2013. That That's the crazy first. part. It was a year and a half. Yeah, a year and a half ago. It feels like this could have been like 10 years ago, but I mean, it just feels like it was so long ago. I'm, I can't even remember why I took the class. I heard good things about it. Um, uh, I know um, I, I had had a job at Rogers and I was uh, I had been let go and um, my job was always in the evening. So I, you know, time free during the day, but I, could, I was never available during the evening and I was looking for extracurricular stuff to do. And I always noticed that uh, all the good stuff was always in the evening. So when I lost my job, I was kind of like, OK, well, where do I go from from here? And 
came across, I think I may have heard from Adam Gorham. Oh, I think yeah. I heard about it from uh, actually the, the, the comic book uh, marathon at the comic book lounge. Oh, nice. Yeah. And um, I think I had started asking some questions to Adam Gorham. And I think he did recommend, he said, you know, check out uh, Ty Templeton's uh, comic book course. And and I saw it. And, and Ty's courses are always kind of sporadic. Sometimes he takes writing. He has different courses. They're not always available. It's, it's I think it's he seasonal. has. Yeah. yeah, it's seasonal. He has writing writing one in like spring and then he'll have like writing two later on but it, it, it there doesn't seem to be any system to it so i took the course and you know i, I was i was i was high and i was like really into comic collecting at the time and reading a lot of crazy stuff and i remember taking the writing course because i have no drawing skills whatsoever and i have i have i have some skills i just don't have any patience mm. so i knew that i wasn't going to be taking any art whatsoever so i took some writing courses and i figured you know maybe uh this will help me be a better storyteller. And I just, after the, like the first or second class, I just realized, my God, I know nothing about writing. And I've gotten like so many books and so many, I've taken, because my background was in film and television and I've taken writing courses in, in school and I knew nothing. You know, like Ty's courses are so, that that's how intensive they are. Like he teaches a lot and it was really fantastic. And, and another thing I was noticing though, is that there's like a lot of talent coming from Southern Ontario in terms of comic book artists and writers. And Definitely. there's no real, there's nowhere where for them to showcase their talent, right? Whereas, you know, and every so often you'll hear about British talent coming from like 80, 2000 or something like that. Yeah, like Neil and, Gaiman and Grant Morrison. Yeah, exactly. And every time you get some guys from from the UK, it's like, it's a great, it's, it's, a, it's a British invasion and all these comic artists. But we have this in Canada, but we don't really have, you know, there's, what publications do we have in Canada? Like off the top of my head, I can think of like Drawn and Quarterly and like some place to showcase, to showcase Canadian talent, right? Yeah, and it's like yeah. this is this is kind of silly. Like we shouldn't like with this much talent coming from from Canada, let alone Southern Ontario. You know, mm-hmm. we should have something for us to brag about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, totally. I I understand. So so that's what Toronto Comics Anthology is. Is that like the that's platform? what it is to me? I mean, to me, I mean, I had, I had heard you know the cool kids like anthologies, and that's if you <laughs> if you want to if you want to start out creating comics that you know anthologies are a good start because. You know, you, you, networking is important and, you know, you can work out on your storytelling and start small and work your way up. And that's kind of what I thought. I mean, in the back of my mind, I always wanted to start off as a, as doing horror because that seems to be the one thing Like, there's a lot of horror anthologies out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I never really thought just for the record, Ty, the Toronto comics was actually Ty Templeton's idea. <laughs> Well, Nelson had the idea that we should have an anthology. It was going to be a Conan-style anthology. Fantasy, yeah. I wanted fantasy. I thought it was a brilliant idea. I think you guys thought uh, it was a brilliant I, we idea. We had some great stories coming out of it. Yeah, we told Ty, and he did not think it was a brilliant idea. What did he say? He said, yeah, it's all right, I guess. You know, but I have an idea. It, and yeah. apparently he'd been trying to pick, he'd been trying to dump Toronto Comics to a few classes. Yeah, like I said, he's on the Sherlock Holmes, sorry, Holmes Incorporated. Holmes, yeah, um, it's called Holmes Incorporated. Holmes Incorporated, for those who don't know, is basically he created sort of like Sherlock Holmes relatives from the future. Yeah, I it's think. like an expanded kind of superhero style comic yeah, about he, a bunch of misfit heroes solving crimes and saving the day. Yeah, and they're all sort of related to Sherlock Holmes or like they're like his future yeah. ancestors yeah, or something. Yeah, I think they're descendants. As like the final project for this boot camp, he usually has his writers and artists collaborate on some stories that can go into the Holmes Incorporated anthology. And then at the end of the course, they have something uh, that they can sort of take home and showcase their work yeah. and 
you know, as like part of a portfolio sort of thing. That's kind of a, a, what we wanted this to be yeah. too. I think it started off as a portfolio piece and it's like, this is way better than a portfolio piece. Like this came much better than we thought. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had high expectations, but it's like, it was surpassed. So he wanted to do the Toronto Comics Anthology and he was trying to do it as sort of a Holmes Incorporated style thing. Yeah. Well, he'd been trying to move like... Holmes Incorporated, unfortunately, to my understanding, it did not make money. It was not able to like financially sustain itself, um, and so it's it's very hard for a teacher to sustain the portfolios of his students. Um, and he wanted to do the Toronto Comics Anthology, but it was no longer like or like something similar, but it was no longer like financially viable. Um, so what we did for the first anthology is we, as the writers, uh, we pulled together our money to help cover the print costs of it to make sure that it would happen, um, and that's kind of like being our he wanted it to be Toronto Comics. He wanted that to be an ongoing thing. As like he wanted to do like a monthly as opposed to an anthology. Um, but we felt that like we wanted to do a single solid book. And then I like, guess the first book was an experiment to see how well we could do it. Uh, it came out really well. And then the second book, we just took everything we learned and made it a million times better. I am deeply proud of the first book. Uh, I'm even more crazy proud of the second book. And the third one, it's going to be amazing. Is it going to be have like continued affiliation with... Uh, the Ty Templeton bootcamp, or is it just whoever wants to? Um, it's not purely Ty Templeton right now. About half the writers and artists in book two are from Ty Templeton's classes, okay. but a number of them, like like your friend um, Aaron Feldman, he contacted us because he heard of us from an industry night. Uh, he, I don't think he's actually has he been through Ty's classes. I don't believe he has. No. Yeah. So at this point, like we're open to submissions. If you're an artist or a writer in Toronto and you want to get your way into comics, like drop us a line. Uh, we're at uh, TorontoComicsAnthology.com. Uh, or you can find us on Twitter at uh, Toronto Comics with an X. T O C O M I X. Dot com. No, no it's Twitter. Twitter. At T O Comics. T O C O M I X. You can cool. check that. I'm going to check that. He's checking that. Yeah, he's checking that. Trust me, it's T O C O M I X. <laughs> nice. So um, I, I took a look at some of the stories in Toronto Comics. Uh, they're really good and they're really varied. And I guess the thing that like I guess holds everything together as an anthology is that they all take place in or center around Toronto is that yeah that was the only thing we required from the writers um we wanted to like one of the reasons I felt the Holmes Inc. anthologies were not as successful is because people who wanted to work in horror people who wanted to work in comedy or capes um were kind of restricted by the themes of that thing and we wanted people to have very much a lot of freedom with the style and tone that they wanted to to work in within like a PG-13 guidance. We didn't want anything too crazy or extreme. But the only continuing element was simply the location, that it had to have a unique Toronto flavor in some way to the stories. You you get a bunch of artists and writers together. Mm -hmm. uh, do they like pitch you on the stories? or like how We actually do. We did a social pitching. Um, so basically, every writer prepared three different equally awesome ideas they were all happy to work with. And then they presented these ideas in a big roundtable meeting with all the artists and the writers were available. And then as a group, we voted on which of those ideas was the strongest, uh, the most unique, and the most commercial. Yeah, we went that route because that's one of the things that Ty taught us in the uh, one of the writing classes. He spends a class or two classes pitching, yeah. uh, teaching about the pitching process, the elevator pitch, basically, and... Uh, the process of it and the stresses of it. And we just said, you know, let's practice that. Like yeah. that's, it's a good skill to have. And in, in that case, you guys got to be a little bit of the evaluators of the pitches and stuff too. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone's vote, everyone voted on each other's pitch. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, our vote didn't have any more or less merit than another writer. Oh, 
I mean, after the after the pitch was selected, then we worked with the writers to do kind of like if there were elements of the pitch we felt were not perfect or things that could be improved, then we did kind of connect with them uh, to make sure the pitch was as strong as it possibly could be. But by and large, we wanted it to be since it's a community effort, we wanted it to be the community who chose the stories in it. In terms of the stories, I went through it a little bit before I met with you guys, and it looks really amazing. Like, there are, I guess there are superhero stories, there are horror stories, there are post-apocalyptic romantic stories. Yeah. A little bit of true weird history. There is some phenomenal art and writing in there. Yeah, absolutely. What did you like about some of the stories? Can you tell uh, the listeners sort of like some of the highlights? Oh boy, that's a tough one. I mean, I just, I really like the variety of it. That was the first and foremost. I mean, we weren't going for anything in specific and we just kind of let people, I kind of noticed that there were a few more ghost stories and darker stories, but that wasn't, that was totally by accident. Mm -hmm. Um, I really dig people's perspective of the city. You know, that's really yeah. kind of, I mean, I, I like seeing Toronto in other people's eyes and how they see the city. Uh, Jessica Frey, who's, is a Frey or Fry? I always, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Jam Fry is a, um, a local science fiction and fantasy author. Um, uh, she, what's what she just put out? Lips Like Ice. Yeah. Um, and she, as a prose author, decided to kind of try her hand at comics. And so she wrote two stories for the book. She did um, Bloodsuckers, which is one about condo vampires. Uh, and she also did uh, Toronto oh, the Toronto Rude, Rude, which is kind of an, um, a comparison of New York and Toronto. Because uh, she's a, an, a, a, a fiando of both cities. Yeah. Aficionado of both cities. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> that too. Absolutely. Yeah. That's interesting. So I noticed uh, there was a, there was one. It was like there's like this post apocalyptic world. You can't really breathe in the city, yes. and everybody is wearing gas masks except on this one day where it's okay to breathe on your own. Like the government has yeah. said, it's okay to breathe on your own. And one guy uh, takes the opportunity to uh, go to the last. Nui Blanche and uh, meet this girl on a blind date. Yeah, a blind date at the end of the world. Can you build a tomorrow with somebody when there is no tomorrow? Yeah, that's, that's a perfect premise. And that was the Aaron Feldman story. Yes, uh, with Ryan Garcia, uh, who just graduated from Seneca. Uh, and that dude is going places. Phenomenal artist. Really uh, he did the whole story in acrylics and then photographed it and uh, composited it in Photoshop with, I think, some chalk. And it really is like this beautiful mixed media piece. Really cool. And then there was this kind of gothic story, and it looked a little rougher, a little oh, more yes. pencil. Um, the Black Spire of York. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, 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 um, that's piece. by Malcolm. Yeah, yeah Malcolm's our other co-editor who wrote that piece. Oh, okay. uh, he couldn't be here today, but uh, he sends us his best regards. Wait, what's his last name? Um, Derek's. Derek's, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but that piece is drawn by Todd Sullivan. Okay. Uh, he is, I want to say, the life drawing instructor at uh, Seneca. Yes. Uh, and a phenomenal artist. Yeah, and he really gave talented. he gave us a lot of artists too because he was promoting yeah. the book, the first volume, to his students, and he got a whole bunch of artists for him. So students that weren't from Ty Templeton's course, but were still phenomenal. Yeah, they were incredible. I'm interested in having a portfolio piece from while they graduated. Yeah, and we're also hoping to like. Uh, on the front of the book, you might notice there's this, a forward by Jim Zub. Yeah, yeah, Jim Zub. And we're hoping to try and recruit some of his students as well. Because I know he has a lot of people who go through his classes who are excited to work in comics. Yeah, Jim Zub is a Toronto-based uh, writer and artist. He 
uh, does uh, Skull Kickers, and he does uh, uh, Wayward, Wayward, which is, it's like a and book Samurai by Jack. image, which is, yeah, Samurai Jack, the cartoon, the... Um, yeah, so he's, he's a really, like, known quantity in the industry with Image Comics and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he did the foreword, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and his foreword was sort of based on, you know, people always ask him how to get into comics, and this is the perfect way. Do you, do you share that? Uh, that yes. Theory? I think the only way to learn something is to do it. I'm, at least personally, I'm not someone who learns from book reading. I learn from actions. All like Jim Zub actually has some fantastic stuff on his website where he kind of goes through the yes, process of creating yes. comics. But all of that knowledge, it was just completely abstract and disconnected from reality until we tried to build the book. Until we actually saw like how do we pitch, how do we write, how do we sell? And so I think that the only way to make it in comics is to tell stories, is to tell books tell stories people not only want to hear, but like want to buy. Because you can give away work easily, but if you can and actually convince someone that it's worth their time and their money, that's when you know you've got something. So what were some of the challenges that you guys faced in actually putting what you learned into practice and publishing a book in all aspects, like the money, the, the art, the whatever? Money's always going to be a problem, but uh, <clears throat> I had a hard time finding grants. I still have a hard time finding grants. People say they exist. I don't know where they are. I've looked. Uh, but people swear, we found out at TCAF, people are saying that there are grants yeah. for comics out there. Yeah. I, I got to look again. I can't find them. But um, one of the things that I thought that that came together with the first one is that we were expecting the bottom to fall out. We were expecting problems, problems, problems. Yeah, the first book came together so beautifully. Like in every creative project, especially when you have many contributors to it, you're going to have a couple of people who drop towards the end, uh, who can't commit to it, who have to fall away for like for legitimate valid life reasons. And the first book, we had 100% completion. Everybody who started the book finished the book and finished it well. That's awesome. Yeah, with minimal delays too. You know, communication was good. You know, could, I mean, could be better, but definitely yeah. could have been worse, you know? Why do you th- I think maybe that's because there's a there's a professional environment when it comes to comics in Toronto. Like, there's yeah. a lot of not only established writers and artists that live in Toronto, but, like, up-and-comers who are sort of learning from from those people and that sort of professionalism. Yeah. I think maybe that's why. Yeah. yeah. I mean... There's a deadline-focused mentality. Yeah, people and a lot of work. the people that are, that are contributing are already doing comics work of their own. Yeah, I think people are just excited about a new project, too. You know, this is something yeah. they can excited and they can get behind. Yeah. You know, if you can bring enthusiasm and maintain the momentum, people do connect to it. Yeah. What did you notice about like the differences between uh, Volume 1 and Volume 2? Um, volume 2 is better laid out and the stories are more, more concise. Uh, there are some longer stories, but the scripts are sharper. Uh, in between Volume 1 and Volume 2, I went out and I took some courses in project management. So I wanted to make sure that everything would run a little bit more smoothly. Uh, certainly in terms of the actual production of the book, it's much higher quality. Like, first book, don't get me wrong, it's a good piece. But we understood more about the actual printing process for a second. It was a smoother experience, even though we had a lot of more writers and artists involved in it. The first one has, um, I want to say, 19 total people. So. The second one has 33 people in total. Um, and again, the first one is 90 pages. second one is 208 pages. So it is more than double the size. Well, slightly more than double. We just we had we knew what we were doing in the second one. People like almost all the contributors from the first anthology came back for the second one, and so like clearly like people had a good experience. There was no one who was really kind of frustrated with it. 
And so those people are now more experienced, uh, more passionate, and the stories are better. There's a reason, like, it's almost cliche, but you always hear over and over again, people say, just go out and do it, just go out and do it. Well, there's a reason why people say that. I mean, I think I remember reading a blog from Neil Gaiman a while ago, and he was talking about how he had just said that to uh, someone at a convention where they're asking him, how, you know, how do I go about making comics? And he just said, just go out and do it. That's what you got to do. And you keep hearing that because it's true, you know, just, yeah. you know, just tomorrow, just Go on Facebook and say, "Hey, anyone want to make a you know a comic book?" and just go out there, get started, and you'd be surprised at how many people will want to share in your vision. Well, that's the amazing thing is that people really did respond. We put out a call for people like, "Hey, do you want to do this?" and people came and they were passionate and committed. Yeah, people want to hear you, Toronto. Do you? Uh, like, do they volunteer their time? Or? Uh, the way it worked with like with both anthologies is they are nonprofit projects okay. in that. All the money and revenue they make goes right back into the book itself for more more books, uh, more marketing. So that means that none of the artists or writers are paid and none of the editors are paid. None of us walk away with a, a Ferrari and a trip to Mexico. Uh, and so what it means is that the writers contributed to help for the print cost for the book. Uh, the artists donated their time. And we gave everyone at the end of the project, every contributor got 10 free copies of the book. They could also order more copies at like exact print cost for their own sales. But it really is a portfolio piece. And at, like we tested the waters with volume two. And now we know that this is a financially viable project. Uh, going forward from volume three on, we're going to start paying people a page rate. Cool. That's awesome. Have you, do you know of any writers and artists that have actually used it as a portfolio piece or gotten work from their work in uh, Toronto Comics Anthology, either Volume 1 or Volume 2? That's a good question. Uh, I've used it um, very recently. I had an old friend get in contact with me. She's a producer of a documentary, and she was looking for some artists, some comic book artists, to uh, to help with an ebook. And I and she said, "Hey, I I see that you're doing this Toronto Comics. Can you give me a hand with this?" And I gave her a copy. And and whether or not she contacted any of the artists, she hasn't gotten back to me on that. But I mean, I've definitely used it that way to promote some some artists and some talent. Um, I know Stephanie has sold about almost fifty books. I'm not surprised. Uh, one of our artists, she's just a machine when it comes to selling. Mm -hmm. She's Stephanie. Stephanie, oh, Stephanie Line. 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 She will kill you. Oh. <laughs> Um, but no, uh, we allowed artists to like order again, like more print runs for the books. So they're going to sell them themselves. Uh, and Stephanie ordered like a 50 pack and she keeps coming back with like people want to buy her work. And again, it's not necessarily a huge amount of financial incentive because it really isn't a huge amount of money you're going to get out of it. But it's clear there is a demand for the work. The hopeful end goal, what we want to happen out of the book is to lose artists and writers because they go to work at DC and Marvel and Image. We want people to be unavailable because they are rich and successful and happy. Nice problem to have. That's awesome. What do you see in terms of the differences or or the similarities or the unique aspects uh, in terms of like the narrative styles of of volume one versus volume two? Uh, a greater variety of stories. Okay. Simply because there are more stories in volume two. In terms of the genres represented, there's a lot of, there is honestly a fair bit of overlap. We have some cape stories in both. We've got some crime, uh, some true history stuff. We wanted to kind of keep a fairly similar tone between the two. I personally love, there are more fantastic stories mm. in the second one. Like uh, We Were Here and Home and just 
the sci-fi fantasy stuff is just you know it's just it, it's mind-blowing like it's so fantastic like mm-hmm. going back to Aaron like I love his work nice yeah. yeah what is your take on sort of like the Canadian comic landscape I mean I know that you've worked sort of in Toronto and you can speak to that you can speak to the amount of talent that's that's in Ontario and, and Toronto but also speak to like we mentioned grants before and how difficult they were to come by speak in terms of like the support of like the country for art and like, you know, comics in general, do you see that rising, falling, dissipating, uh, you know, it's interesting. Cause, um, I kind of find that people want to get behind at least like every so often I'll see news about captain Canuck on like CP 24 or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've spoken to a lot of people who really want to get behind captain Canuck and I, I get the impression that people want to read Canadian comics, but there's almost nothing out there. It's like, there's a hunger for them, but yeah, it's not satisfied. It's, it's not, it's so we're kind of in this limbo. It's like people want it, but no one's producing it. So yeah, except for maybe like reprints of the Canadian whites that like Rachel Ritchie is doing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Brock Windsor from hope, uh, hope Nicholson. But like, the, but these are like these are good stories, but they're old stories. People want new things to speak to the modern Canadian, I think. And we're still sort of focused on the tried and true popular. Like, well, we're still exporting all of our best talent overseas. Like, all of our best artists and writers just work in mm-hmm. American comics and American superheroes, which is fine because I if, yeah. take money where you can get it. You'd be surprised at how many people came up to us at, at TCAF and said, you know, how many how many superhero stories you got in here, and it's like. I was under the impression that if you want superheroes, people would read DC and Marvel, but people really do want Canadian superhero stories. Like, I mean, people want Canadian stories in general, but, you know, people love Canadian superheroes. Yeah, it seems like, you know, the the reboot of Captain Canuck is is a testament to that. And, yeah. uh, you know, but it also seems like we, as Canadians, we sort of rely on the the things that we've already heard of, like Captain Canuck and, yeah. you know, the the Wolverine, which is like Marvel and stuff. But it's hard for a brand new name to break in. Yeah. We should. We need to blaze trails. And I guess that's kind of what this is, right? I mean, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully this is a launching pad for yeah. somebody to, to pick up. Uh, I mean, maybe Major North. Maybe Major North is the thing that takes off from here and becomes a super awesome Captain Canuck style mega hero. The, yeah. The point is, is that there's something there for... You know, there's at least a platform to launch and, yeah. you know, hopefully other people can come out with their own anthologies and launch their own ideas. Mm-hmm. That's what we need. Like, I know there's a uh, True Patriot that's coming out this month, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. another tr- uh, Canadian yeah. Uh, yeah. and you worked right? in uh, Canadiana. Canadiana, well. which is out of Vancouver, uh, Cloudscape Comics. They come, they're coming out with it's Canadian superheroes, and that's out of uh, sorry that's out of Vancouver, and they're coming out they're coming out with Volume Two sometime this year. I'm not sure when. I think my story's due in, like, June, I think. I don't know. I'm not in contact with the editor too often. But it's drawn by uh, Alex Graychuk, who oh, did yeah. the the home story in the second anthology. Uh, okay. So it is a phenomenally drawn piece. It speaks to the fact that, like, other people in other regions of Canada or other publishers are doing anthologies, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think in large part that's due to Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, like, if, uh, for the very first time, anthologies are financially viable. I mean, if you look at things like um, the Beyond Anthology with its, was that $70,000 made? Uh, certainly the Valor Anthology, 110000 Like, these are big name successful prints that, like, 
no one would ever have heard of without the advent of social media and the advent of crowdsourced funding. Mm. You know, it's a feel good story. I mean, yeah. it's good to know that people do want anthologies, especially. Yeah. In- and the people whose demand has never been able to be met before yeah. now have a new avenue for this. And did social media and crowdfunding really help you guys? Yes. Uh, we had a Kickstarter for volume two and it was phenomenally successful. Yeah. Uh, we asked for $500. Uh, we got seven and point two thousand. Wow. So that's almost 1,500% funded. And I'm a bit of a pessimist by nature. So I was legitimately worried that we were going to make that 500. And when we made that in the first day, I was blown away. Yeah, I think we made that in the first hour. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's like, I was worried. I was like, well, if we get 75 bucks for the first night, I think we'll be all right. It's like, no, we get, we, yeah. I think we got the 500 in like the first hour. For sure. And I think that like doing that first Kickstarter project is the first one we've done. Um, the next Kickstarter will be better put together, better organized, and we'll just keep on getting better at this. And this was incredibly well organized. I mean, that 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 was all you, though. Well, thank you. Because I've seen, I've seen, uh, I've been a part of crowdfunding that's just been a disaster, and it's like the communication is terrible, and yeah. you know, and I'm I'm kind of worried about crowdfunding, and just the way Andrew put this one together was like that's how it should be done, like. Mm-hmm. Basically, we had it, we had everything done, right? I mean, yeah, we didn't pitch the the idea of a project. We pitched the finished project. We said, "Here's the work. Here's the stories. It's ready to go to print right now. If you want to order it, there is no uncertainty. Even though you may not have heard of our names before, uh, we have already done the work. If you want to believe in us, then we will bring the work to you." Yeah, so it, it means that there's not just like a like a vision with no. Yeah, it's it's so easy to be an ideas man, yeah. to be someone who just has like, oh, wouldn't it be great if there was this thing? And if you're a good enough marketer, you can get money out of that. But I didn't, I didn't want to take that risk. I wanted to be absolute and concrete with here's what you get, and people have more faith in something they can see physically. Yeah, like we had photos of like the first proof copies. Uh, we had sample stories. We had sample images. People could see the quality of the work even before they ordered it. Uh, because, you know, that's what it is about in terms of like buying things. We want to see what they, what they're getting, right? Yeah. What the customer expects, the customer should have delivered to them. Not that I'm dissuading people from like Kickstarter or crowdfunding. It's just, mm-hmm. I had personally, I had a bad experience with a Indiegogo project and it was like, I was researching. It's like, well, what can I do? Do I have any? Can I get my money back? Is there any? No, it's just a donation. And it's doni- It's a donation. There's nothing I can do. The only recourse a person has is to go to the police. And I'm sure they're going to drop everything <laughs> they're doing to get your 50 bucks back. Right. Yeah, and it's, it's like, just... so I, you know, ever since that experience, I'll, uh, you know, I'm a little bit more cautious with what's mm-hmm. out there. But, you know, and I think that Kickstarter backlash is still present and a potential risk because certainly you're starting to see like, like Archie Comics. Uh, do you see this thing with Archie Kickstarter? I did not. Um, Archie did. I think it was a five hundred thousand dollars Kickstarter. Really? It was an enormous amount of money. Because they're they trying asking. to relaunch the yeah. series, right? With new hitters. with Chip Starsky uh, and a bunch of other awesome people like uh, Mark Wade, um, the Dodsons. Um, uh, who's that other guy who does cheesecake? Uh, Adam Hughes. Oh. Okay. Uh, then Adam Hughes, like a uh, Betty and Veronica series. Um, but they asked for this insane amount of money, and there was this enormous backlash because they are not a small company. They are not a, a group of indie people in their basement. They were just using this to bankroll existing projects. And because the media backlash was so heavy, they were forced to cancel the Kickstarter. Okay. And just like, three days into it, they just like yeah. canceled it, and everybody got their money refunded. But it was an example of somebody who asked for too much, and the public was not willing to support them because they didn't think they needed it. Yeah, yeah, and and those sorts of things are 
designed for independent creative people and not like corporate yeah. creative people you know mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like if you can if you can get a bank loan for a million dollars then you probably don't need kickstarter <laughs> because i don't think that either i don't think we could make that happen i don't think uh our combined credit would be worth anywhere near that range. Uh, yeah perfect so uh you mentioned briefly that you were working on uh volume three Yes, we're kind of talking about it, throwing ideas around. I mean, we like we just launched volume two, yeah, like literally two weeks ago. Yeah, so it's like that was the one thing I noticed is that right, I think it was like right after, right when we launched volume one, mm-hmm. I think it was like two weeks later we started working on volume two. And it's like wait, wait a second, we like we just launched volume one, and yeah, yeah. you're like let's get let's get started on volume two, and yeah. But no, like there's a lot of positive feeling, there's a lot of good momentum, and we're just doing the early planning stages for yeah, the third book. For the thir- yeah, we started talking about it right now. Cool. Are you going to make any changes? Or? Well, uh, we're kind of throwing around some ideas right now. Um, one of the things we're looking into potentially doing is um, still doing the large ongoing anthologies, that kind of like a phone book-sized serious chunk of original content, but also some smaller themed books. So like westerns or yeah, some horror. horror. Yeah, we're throwing out ideas. I threw out erotica. Andrew was not impressed. <laughs> I think it's legitimately a market for erotica. I think it's a very difficult thing to print Superhero because most erotica. most printers will not touch it. That's and true. then you get like if you want to ship it across the border, you get into yeah. Know, that's interesting. Maybe. Yeah, I never thought about that. Or yeah, like country specific. I mean, that might be interesting. Like like in terms of, I mean, certainly uh, smut peddlers. Smut peddlers been very successful. Yeah, um, that's something that once you kind of go down that road, it's a problem. From what I've heard, yeah. that getting back from like once you're known as yeah. that yeah. guy. My ideal end game is to get our regular anthologies into schools and libraries, yeah. uh, and I think that having erotica in our catalog might make yeah. that harder. Not that it wouldn't be a good idea. For, oh no, for it's still it's a viable financial concept. People would go for it. Exactly. A Canadian. So you agree is- with me? That's great. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is because I don't know. Lost Girls, for all of its oh, yeah. challenges, was uh, like good and beautifully done. And, oh, yeah. and if you could get it, that's the problem. It, it took mm-hmm. so long to get, and it was very controversial. And yeah. uh, no, but certainly it's viable. Um, but we wanted to find things like we want to continue making like PG thirteen kind of stories. There's so many that, other like, genres out there yeah. that are worth exploring too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, I mean, I I keep going back to this only because people keep bringing up superheroes, and it's like there are lots of superhero anthologies out there, but people keep asking, you know, are there, yeah. are there is that market met? Can yeah, we still get something like, in there? Yeah, and you like, probably can. I yeah, say. I think you can give a unique flair to heroes because I think um, a lot of cape stories are not necessarily unique or original they tend to be reflections of earlier works that kind of moved us when we were younger yeah. there's a nostalgia for it uh whereas you look at, at superheroes like scott pilgrim who i think is he's not he doesn't wear a cape but he's definitely a super character and i think that is someone with a uniqueness and a specialness and that a toronto book of heroes would have a unique flavor to it not necessarily scott pilgrim related but just something unique interesting are you always going to keep it restricted to toronto i noticed that some of your contributors okay. live out in other parts of Ontario, and but you're referring to the thing. exiles, right? Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so are you going to expand it to the rest of Ontario, or are you just always going to keep it Toronto? I think at this point we were talking about making Toronto Comics a brand, and you know, not keep it focused on Toronto. Okay. You know, I mean, I think that'd be kind of silly. 
Yeah, but certainly but unofficially, the, like you take you take things that are centered in other in other places. Yeah. Oh yeah, a number of our contributors are like are in Hamilton or London or places that are Ontario-ish, but not necessarily Toronto. Um, there are people who have a connection to Toronto. They're they're not just complete strangers to the place. Um, but at the same time, your life takes you to different places. And so, like, if the contributor who works out in Hamilton, um, Alex Greatshock, who did Home and um, Sergeant Sawchuk story, phenomenal guy, but the distance makes it hard for him to commute up here for meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we primarily chat to that guy by email or Skype. And we're flexible. We'll try and find a communication channel that works with people who are distant. What was the thing that allowed certain people to do... Uh, more than one story. Like, is there a criteria? In we had the very strange circumstance where we had more artists than we had writers, yeah. which is unheard of because for both volumes, yeah, well, for twice two books in a row. Again, like you in traditionally, you have a bunch of people who with great with what they consider to be great scripts uh, and no artists available to draw it. And we had the absolute opposite. We had four or five artists at the end of volume two who just didn't have stories assigned to them because we didn't have enough scripts. We came up with a couple of short scripts, like certainly the um, there's the true Toronto Tales, which are two or three page stories, uh, which we assigned to a variety of artists to try and get people work. It's like an anthology within an anthology, kind of. Yeah. But we tried to get, like, short stories that would still be uh, an example for them to test themselves with. And so, like, that was kind of why some people wrote two stories for that piece. Otherwise, we kind of set the restriction that um, each writer writes a single piece, and that gets assigned to a single artist. Because we wanted to keep it so that no one voice dominated. Um, but then after we were about halfway through the project, we discovered we still had all these artists still available to us, and new artists applying all the time. And they wanted to work. They yeah. wanted to contribute. And so we had a second call for short scripts within the project, and the ones that were uh, duplicates, or the ones the people who had more, sorry, the ones who had more than one story in there were the people who got those scripts into us very quickly. I just want to say, like, for volume one, that was a series, that was, like, problem number one that we prepared for. We're going to have, like, 10 artists, we're going to have 10 writers, 11 writers, and maybe two artists. That was our fear, yeah. Yeah, that was not the case at all. Mm-hmm. It was the exact opposite. Wow, Perfect. And I guess that speaks to like the the amount of art schools that are in. Yeah, and uh, we've got Seneca, we've got Sheridan pulling in here. We've got these animation houses. We've got social games. We've got Ubisoft. We've got there are so many, and of course the entire film industry. Like there are so many artists and creatives working in Toronto, uh, and the community for them is so strong and so connected that you can throw a rock and find yeah. like six fantastically talented people who are eager to work with you. That's awesome. Really cool. So, uh, any like final thoughts in terms of uh, the Toronto Comics Anthology, comics in Toronto in general? Uh, you know where you think uh, this this is going. Well, I am just thrilled the project has been received as well as it has. Uh, when we, we launched at TCAF, uh, people were willing to take it in front of our hands. We, if we put it in their hands, they bought it because they were excited to recognize, like even the cover, it's got a picture of the brownstone building on it, uh, the Flatiron building on it. Um, and I work right there and everybody who walked past it recognized it immediately. So people wanted the book, even if they'd never heard of it before. And we're really excited to be an ongoing platform for new writers and new artists to get into the industry. We want to keep making stories, keep making books in Toronto, um, and just build and to make comics. Yeah, we want to tell our, tell your own stories. I mean, people want to hear your stories, especially as Canadians. I really hope that people, you know, whether you're in Winnipeg or Calgary or Montreal, you know, tell your stories. Like, I yeah. would love to read a story from... 
you know, Bathurst, New Brunswick, you know, yeah. someone from out there, you know, like, and like, I, we, I'm very pro CanCon. Like, I really want Canadian content. Uh, there's not enough of it, especially in the comic book industry. And uh, we always need more of it. And I hope, you know, like, I'm telling you, like, people want to read it. People want to read it. So please go out there and tell your stories. Like, don't let something as silly as, well, I, I can't find an artist to tell my story no trust me there are artists out there who will share your vision yeah you know we were we were able to get it and it was you just you show passion you show commitment of your own like it's not enough to just have a script you have to really want it and you have to be willing to work for it hard but if you want to be a part of the third anthology we'll be starting it up in august uh, and you can get in contact with us at torontocomicsanthology.com and twitter which i was incorrect about (laughs) It is at Toronto Comics. With an X. With an X. C-O-M-I-X. Yeah. I started that one, too. I got that wrong. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, guys. Okay, so I will see you, fanboys and fangirls, for our next episode. Don't forget to go to our website at uh, the Never Sleeps Network. Dot com. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at SpeechBubblePod. Go to our Facebook page. Uh, like us at uh, SpeechBubblePod as well. And uh, we'll see you for the next episode. Thanks, guys. All right, thanks Thank for having us. This has been SpeechBubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. See you next time. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Never Sleeps Network.